right. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, we kind of began a series of messages kind of unofficially talking about trusting God when you don't understand. Like when things happen in your life and you don't get what's happening, you don't understand why it's happening. What does it mean to trust God even then? Because sometimes people will say, well, you just need to trust God. And, and, and of course, we all believe we need to trust God. And we, we get that. We believe that. And, and it sounds religious. And it sounds right. And it is right. But what does it look like? And a few weeks ago, we looked at a father in the Old Testament who really loved his kids. He had 10 kids. His name was Job. And some really bad things happened to Job. And he didn't know why it was happening. The story behind the scene. But he was invited, even though he didn't understand, to trust God. And so we talked uh, three weeks ago about what what does that mean? What does that mean to to trust? What is a picture of that? And as we looked at the story of Job, we had this acrostic that I stole from Rick Warren. And we applied it to to Job for the word trust. We said, well, here's what it means to trust. The T represents tell God how you feel. In other words, if you're going to really trust God, you're going to have to start by being honest. You're going to have to tell the truth. You're going to have to tell God how you, not how you think you should feel, but how you actually do feel at that moment. And you tell him how you feel. The R is refuse bitterness. So even if you are hurt, even if you are, whatever, you, you, are, you are going to trust him. You're going to refuse bitterness. The U was unite with others who will point you back to Jesus. Don't just unite with any, any, anybody because a lot of people will tell you a lot of bad. Has anybody here ever gotten bad advice? Raise your hand if you ever got bad advice from me. No, don't raise your hand for that. Um, um, uh, you, we want to unite with people who are going to point us to Jesus. The S it was for surrender. We want to surrender. It's not, we're not trying to make our will get done. It's his kingdom. It's his will. We surrender to him. And the T was trust Jesus for all the details because the book of Job ultimately leads us to Jesus. Jesus is ultimately the only truly innocent who suffered for us. And so the book of Job is there is to point us to Jesus. Now we said all of that in the last few weeks and I want to pick up there because I have seen something this week in the story of Job that I have never seen before. You know, scripture is so deep, you will never plumb the depths of it. I mean, I don't care how many times you read the Bible, you can be 127 years old and you will still be seeing new things in the scripture because it's so deep. And I don't know how many times I read Job and I have never seen what I saw this week. My cousin pointed it out to me, so I have to give him props on that. But I, 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 I had never, ever seen this until I read it. See, here, here's what happens. I think after we go through a problem or we're in the middle of a traumatic event or a hardship, uh, maybe like Job, it's a total disaster or a complete collapse. I know for, for some of you, you know what I'm talking about. It, it may not be that traumatic. It may be just a lesser issue, but it's a, it's a, it's a problem. When we go, th- we want to be restored and we want to find healing, rightfully so, and we want it to be instant. Don't we? Because we want everything else to be instant in life. Just yesterday, I, I, one of the boys were like, hey, can you check how much money I have in my account? And I go to hit my uh, Republic Bank app, and it just looked at me. And I, and I was hitting, and I was, I, was, I, was like, I was like punching the app. And, 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 and then I stopped and just waited for two seconds, and then it opened. And I was thinking, what is wrong with the Republic Bank app? <laughs> two whole seconds of my life. Wait, why? Because we want stuff instantly, right? And, and, and here's the deal. Since we believe that God can heal and restore, and God does heal and restore, and we believe God is good and he wants to heal and restore, we think that if we aren't completely healed and restored immediately, there's something wrong with us. 
Like maybe our faith app is defective. And then here's what we do. We sometimes judge ourselves and we judge each other who might be in a process of healing and restoration. See, when, when we think of the story of Job, here's how we normally think about Job. We think, of okay, so there's God, you know, and the sons of God are praying, you know, the devil walks in. God says, where you been? He said, ah, I've been walking around. God says, what about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And he's like, well, does Job love you for nothing? I mean, come on. He, of course he serves you. You put a hedge around him and you bless him. But you take that away, he'll curse you to your face. And that's the story. And then bad things start happening to Job. And, we, and then we say, well, he had some friends that gave him bad advice who said some bad things. And then we get to the end of the story and we say, and then, bang, Job got double back. Isn't that how you normally hear the story? I, I, I have heard that. I've heard Job preach many times and every single time I have preached Job many times and every single time they see how I see the story. It's like he gets to the end and boom, he always, he got double back. He gets to chapter 42. He encounters God verse five and six. He gets and he says this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then he got double back. That's how we preach it. But I saw something this week that I have never seen before, and it struck me, and it really helped me. I hope it'll help you. And in fact, that's how I decide on what I'm going to preach. If God's speaking something to me, and it touches me, I figure it might touch somebody else. And this touched me, and it helped me, and maybe it'll help you too. If you read the rest of the chapter, which includes the epilogue, and, 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 for, and for those who don't know, the epilogue is just the rest of the story that draws the story together. You must read, you got to read the epilogue if you want to know the full meaning of the story. By the way, just a side note here, um, uh, some of you are judging your own story, but the epilogue hasn't even been written yet. So there's more to your story than you know right now, so you should be careful judging your story. Back, back to Job, however. You, if, you, if you don't read the epilogue of Job, you don't understand the story. See, Job did make an amazing comeback. There was a turnaround that he was restored. He did get double, but the restoration didn't happen overnight. There was a process of restoration that went over the course of many, many years, okay? And it culminated in double of what he had before, but it took time. Now, this is very encouraging to me because in my life, there's some things that I'm praying for that I'm asking God for that I haven't seen yet. I don't know if any of you have this experience or not, but there's some things that I've been praying God, for God to do in my family, in this church, uh, in the city of Louisville that hasn't happened. I haven't seen it yet. And sometimes I judge myself or I, I judge wh- whatever we are because I haven't, it's like we're in a process of restoration. And when you're going in a process, often the enemy will come in and say, what is wrong with you? If you're really spiritual, you wouldn't be in the process. And, and so most of the time we want to skip the process, don't we? We want the fruit of the process, but not the process itself. Like, like you've heard me say this before. It's like, I would like to look like I did CrossFit. You know, I really would like to look that way. But that is entirely too much work. I, I, just, I just feel like I want the fruit of CrossFit without the pain of CrossFit, without the process, right? But here's the deal. If you want the fruit, you have to submit to the process. If you want the fruit, you got to submit to the process. So what does the process of restoration look like? Well, if you've ever experienced any kind of 
problem like that, any kind of Job-like experience, any kind of trouble in your life that you're still being healed from or whatever, um, I, I want to share with you for Job how he started over after he lost everything. So, so if I had to give it, it's how to begin again. And I want to see some insights that come straight out of the text, which is the epilogue of Job's story, which I don't know if you've ever read this story or not at the end. But let me give you just five insights of how to begin again. If, you're, if you are, are, are in the process of starting over, if you're in the process of being healed physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, here are some insights right out of the epilogue. Number one, learn what God is teaching you. Learn what God is. Now, notice what I said and what I didn't say. I didn't say that God sent this on you to teach you something. I didn't say that. Okay? In the Job story... What happens in the Job story is there's this thing between God and Satan. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? It wasn't God saying, you know what? I'm going to teach Job something today. In, in that story, that's what it was. So there is an enemy out there. And things happen because we live in a fallen world. And a lot of different reasons for things occur. And it might not even be about you. There might be things that happen in your life that's not even about you. It has anything to do with you. But you can learn something from almost anything. And Job did. Here's what Job said in verse 2 of chapter 42. He said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. So Job said, I learned something from all of this. And here's what I learned something about the greatness of God. I learned something about the majesty of God. I learned something about the power of God, the mystery of God. He learned there's always more to the story than what you see right now. Because it looked like God's plan was being thwarted, but it wasn't. So the process of restoration begins with what can I learn from this situation that pushes me towards God? Now, in the middle of it, the enemy of your soul is going to want you to learn some things that aren't true. The enemy wants you to make judgments, vows, whatever, about the wrong stuff. That's not what we want to do. We want to learn in this situation whatever it is that will push us towards Jesus. No matter what you are going through today, there is something you can learn in the middle of it that will push you towards Jesus, how much you need Jesus. And we have a promise. This is an incredible promise in the New Testament that as we follow God, nothing is wasted. Nothing is ever wasted with God. No suffering, no pain. No hardship is ever wasted with him. Romans 8, 28, and we know, not we hope, not maybe, not we think so. No, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, You see, it's maybe not the things that are working for you. It's God that's working for you. And we need to learn to train ourselves to see the good that God is bringing out of bad situations. I'm, the other day I started uh, reading a book by T.D. Jakes. I, I'd never read a T.D. Jakes book before, so I figured I should probably do that. And so uh, I, I saw this book. It's called Crushing, is the title, Crushing. God Turns Pressure into Power. And he talks about how a lot of times in our life there come pressures in our life and the pressure actually becomes power. It's like, you know, the, the pressure of a mountain on carbon, you know, there's a diamond that, that occurs. You know, the, the pressure uh, leads to power. And he has this picture of, of, of a wine dresser and, and the whole picture is around wine, actually. And he said, you know, Jesus says, unless a seed goes in the ground and, and is buried and dies, it's not going to produce fruit. And he says, by definition, when you plant a seed, it's going into a dirty place. Because you plant the seed and 
the dirt. It, it's a dark place. Uh, it, it, and to the seed, it maybe feels like it's being buried. But it's actually being planted. And, and sometimes in our lives, he's just talking about, there are times in our lives where we feel like we're in a dirty place, we're in a dark place, and we feel like, God, you're burying me. God's not burying you. He's planting you. So you'll produce fruit. And then what happens? The fruit comes up and there's the grape. And what do they do? They crush the grape in order to make the wine. And, and sometimes we feel like, oh, we're going through a crushing. But, but here's the deal. In all things, God works for good. He's making a nice Argentinian Malbec out of you that will pair nicely with a steak. I mean, I just, I, I'm just playing around here. Uh, uh, but the point is, in all things, God works for good. So when you're going through something and you want to be restored and you've got to make a comeback, and it's not easy to do, and sometimes it's hard to do just to stop and go, okay, God, what, 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 what do I have to learn from this? What do I need? God, give me your perspective. What Job needed was God's perspective to see things the way, when, when, when he said to Job, where were you when I said to the ocean, stop right there, and it obeyed me. That's what Job needed to see. And there's something that, that, that we, we need to see. So number one, learn what God is teaching you. Number two, and this comes right out of the, the, the epilogue here in Job, forgive and pray for those who hurt you. Now, in the story of Job, you know, his friends show up, and for seven days they don't say anything, and then they start saying a lot of bad things and nasty things about him. And I'm sure that was very hurtful to Job. And God comes in the end, and he says to Job's friends, um, I'm never happy about you, with you right now. I'm, I'm giving you like the toned down version. God says, I'm never happy with you right now, but if you make a sacrifice and Job will pray for you, I will not treat you as your sins deserve. Now the guy they've been talking bad about is the one that's got to pray for him. And you know what Job does? He doesn't say, well, well, well. <laughs> like Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec, you know, when Eagleton comes for help. Well, well, well. He doesn't do that. He forgives them and he just prays for them. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. Do you see the process there? It was after he prayed for his friends. Part of the process of restoration is forgiving the people who've hurt you and praying for them. I know that's not easy. That's really, really, really hard. It's part of the process. Of the seed being planted to, to grow something new, restored. And Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison in South Africa because he stood up against apartheid. And here's what he said as he walked out the door. Listen to this quote. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. You know, you can be physically free, but spiritually bound. So don't imprison yourself. A lot of things in life try to imprison us. They try to imprison us. Don't do it to yourself. Forgive and pray for them. And listen, forgiveness is good for them. They need forgiveness. Absolutely, it's good for them. But I'm going to tell you something. It's, It's more important for you. Charles Simpson said, uh, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. And so, forget Colossians 3, verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It's part of the process. So, number one, you learn what God is teaching you. Number two, you forgive and pray for those who hurt you. Number three, receive the help God sends you. 
See, the process, in this process of restoration, it's going to include people that God will send to you. God will send you people. It might only be one person. It might be one person. It might be two people. It might be more than that. I don't know why I didn't see this before in the text. Look at verse 11, very next verse in the epilogue. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They must have brought some food because he didn't have anything, right? They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver. The Hebrew word, I'm told, we don't even know what amount of money that is. So they just translate a piece of silver and a gold ring. So the, the next step in this process of restoration is, remember, all of his cattle are dead. All his, all his oxen, all his sheep, all his donkeys, they're all dead. All of his children is dead. He has nothing. So if you're going to start over and begin again, you need something to start with, right? So he had to start the restoration with something. So God brings family members and others to him to bring him something to start over with. And Job had to receive it. He, he couldn't be too prideful to accept help. He couldn't just say, no, no, I don't need any help. I, I don't need you. I, he, he had to receive it. Now, this is something I never thought before. His brothers and sisters weren't around when he was suffering. Like, I didn't even know he had brothers and sisters until I read the epilogue again. I'm like, where were they the rest of the book? I mean, a few chapters ago, what? what? Like, he's scraping boils off. And where are his brothers and sisters? I, I mean, at least his seven friends, his friends are there. They're, they're not there. And, I, and sometimes we don't know why. But they show up now and they help him get back on his feet. Listen, God will send people to you. Sometimes it'll be just one person. Sometimes it'll be more. And, and it's not usually the people you think it'll be. Sometimes we miss the people God sends into our life because it's not the person we would have chosen. It, it, but yet God is sending them to, to whatever, help financially, maybe, maybe not that, maybe open a door, maybe counsel you, maybe pray for you, I don't know. But God often shows his favor on you through people. And you have to be willing to receive it. Sometimes God is answering our prayer, but we don't see it because it's coming through a person. It's like, you, you, know, the old, you know, the old story, there's a major flood and a guy's stuck in his house, he can't get out. And he prays, God save me, and an SUV comes by, uh, and the guy says, hey, I can get you out of here, my, my truck's high enough up. And he says, no, 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 God's going to save me. And then the water gets higher, and he has to go to the second floor, and a boat comes by, and the guy in the boat says, hey, uh, once you get in the boat, I can, I can save you. He says, no, 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 I'm praying to God to save me, I'm trusting God, God's going to save me. The water gets to the roof, he gets up on the roof, helicopter comes by. Drop down, you know, the guy says, no, 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 I'm praying for God to save me. I'm waiting for God to save me. And the dude dies. He goes to heaven. In heaven, he says, what's up, God? Like, I prayed for you to save me. And God says, I sent you an SUV, a boat, and a helicopter. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you, you, you've all heard that before. It's a joke, but, but, but we live that sometimes. So expect God to do this in your life. As you're rebuilding, as, as, as you're coming out of a hardship or whatever, expect it. Just, and just have your eyes open to, to the help that God will send you and be willing to receive it. That's number three. Number four, and, and yes, I have more than three points today. Number four, just do what you know to do. Just do, just, 
listen, you don't have to have all the answers. You may not have a clear vision of what this is going to look like in 10 years or 5 years or next year. Just do what you know to do to just make the next right step. That's what Job did here. He, he took what had been given to him by his family, and he went out and bought a sheep or a camel or a donkey or whatever. I mean, look at verse 12, very next verse. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Now, um, we don't have time, but if we went back to chapter 1, you'd see that's double all the numbers in chapter 1 of what he had in the first few verses of Job 1. Why you need 1,000 donkeys, I have no idea. I feel like that's showing off, but whatever. You're saying, what's the point? Here's my point. Job just did what he knew to do with what he had, and God blessed it. I mean, it doesn't say, but he must have taken some of that pieces of silver and gold rings and whatever and went out and bought his first sheep. I mean, that's what he had before. He had sheep, cattle, you can go back and read it, oxen, you know, donkeys and everything. And, he, and so he's a businessman with, with animals, so he just did what he knew to do. The animals didn't fall out of heaven. It wasn't like God said, hey, look at here come a thousand donkey <laughs> and flying donkeys and stuff like that. That didn't happen. He didn't just drop it out of it. No, what did he do? Job just took what little he had and he began rebuilding and God blessed it. See, you already have experience from your past that has prepared you for the present. Now, I know it doesn't feel like that and there's some things you can never be prepared for. I get that. I do totally. But the conviction of heaven is you have everything you need to do this day. Grace is, for, grace is like manna. It's for today. We'll worry about next Thursday when we get to next Thursday. You get manna for today. So just do what you already know to do and start rebuilding one step at a time. I'm a little bit of a Rocky Balboa fan. Uh, do we have any other Rocky Balboa fans in, in there? Okay, I, I never, okay. So, so all the, back to Rocky 1, but my, all, honestly, well, for a long time, my favorite was Rocky 4 when he fought Ivan Drago, the Russian, right? And, and that was my favorite. But now my favorite is Creed. And there's a couple of scenes in Creed where Rocky's talking to Adonis Creed, and he says, Donnie, it's one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. And then the music begins. You know how, you know how they do these. The music begins to build. One, one, you know, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. You know? And then you're, I, don't, I know how, at least the guys are this way. When you're watching that movie, you're like. Come on. Yeah, see? Okay. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time, and just be patient. It didn't come overnight for Job. His restoration happened over years. I mean, just to get back to 10 kids is going to take you a minute. I mean, kids don't just appear magically. Their stuff has got to happen. And we ain't going to talk about that today. But my point is, it takes years to get to 10 kids. They didn't just happen. Over, in the process of restoration, you're going to be tempted to doubt because it doesn't always happen immediately. You're going to be tempted to give up on the process. So what you do is speak truth to yourself. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. 
One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round. And you have to speak. Don't believe the whispers of the accuser who showed up in chapter one of the. Listen, if the accuser showed up in Job's story, he's going to show up in your story. And he will accuse you and he'll say, why is your restoration taking so long? If you were really spiritual, it wouldn't take this long. He's going to question God's faithfulness to you. Did God really say, did he really give you that vision? Did he really say you're going to be healed? Did he, really, he will condemn you by saying, if you, know, if you really knew the Bible. And he will, you know what? The whole point of Satan in that story was trying to get Job to curse God and die. And God's invitation was, trust me. So you know what you're going to have to do sometimes? You're just going to have to say, you know what, devil? You don't win. Not today, Satan. And you may have to just preach to yourself. Self, don't give up. One step at a time. One punch at a time. One round at a time. Don't give up. You will survive. And not only will you survive, you will thrive. You know why? Because double is coming. And that needs to become our habit of thinking. Telling ourselves the truth of God's word becomes a habit. You know, I, I think it was A.W. Tozer. I didn't put this up on the screen because I, I can't, I'm not 100% sure it was Tozer who said this. He said, feats of thinking produce reputation, but habits of thinking produce character. Feats of thinking produce reputation, but habits of thinking produce character. In other words, if I say, the, if I say this, E equals MC square, what name pops in your mind? Albert Einstein, right? Why? Because that was a feat of thinking that has produced a reputation and you know his name, okay? But habits of thinking is what produces character. So if you get into a habit of saying, no, I'm not, Satan, I don't believe what you say. I don't believe what God says. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, most of our unhappiness in life comes from the fact we're listening to the wrong voice. We're listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. So the psalmist in Psalm 42, when he was down, he was depressed, he was discouraged, he, was, he said, he started talking to himself. Psalm 42, 5, he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Who's he talking to? Himself. Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And, and I just want to say, as your pastor, can I just come and say, that's not always, it's, that's way easier to preach than it is to do. And if you're struggling with that, what you shouldn't feel right now is condemnation. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All you should hear in that is an invitation. And you know what? Sometimes when you can't preach the truth to yourself, you know what you, you, know what you can do? And I learned this from Marlene. Marlene taught me this. Listen to black gospel music. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I mean, you say, well, I'm not black. I don't care if you're white, Latino, Asian, if you come from the Himalayan mountains in Nepal or the rainforest in Brazil or I, listen to black guy because it is raw and it is real and it will start where you are, but it will take you somewhere because it will begin to declare truth. You just listen to some black gospel music and it'll start with, man, I'm down right now. And then it'll start talking, but guess what? The blood of Jesus is greater than all of my sin. The power of Jesus is greater than any problem I have. The stripes on Jesus' back are greater than any sickness or disease. The name of Jesus is above every name. And if you listen to that for a while, pretty soon you start believing it. 
And listen, sometimes when you can't preach the truth, you can sing it. So just trust God and take the next step. Do, just do what you know to do and God will bless it. So learn what God is teaching you. Forgive and pray for those who hurt you. Receive the help God sends you. Just do what you know to do. Just take the next right step. And here's the fifth and last thing I promise. And I don't know why I've never seen this before. What is wrong with me? I just had never seen this, but I read right over it. But it's right at the end of the book. Let's read the rest of Job. I don't know if you ever read this. The end of Job, verse 13. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Now that wasn't double what he had before. That's exactly what he had before. So he didn't get restored to double the number of kids. His wife was grateful. Uh, that just went to 10 again, because I was already at 20. Um, uh, the first daughter he named Jemima. Forgive me if I, if I don't pronounce these names right. The second, Keziah. The third, Karen Hapik. Verse 15. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, are you seeing this? It was after he prayed for his friends. He forgave them and prayed for his friends that he gets double, okay? And it says, after he does this for his daughters, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. Now, why? Some of you are thinking, oh, why? I don't understand what you're getting excited. What, what is, what's such a big deal? Here's the big deal. Because in the ancient Near East, there was a practice called primogeniture. And some of you are thinking, prima who? Um, primogeniture, which just means the oldest male son gets a double portion of the inheritance and the girls get nothing. So the best way to, to, for me to illustrate that for you is my brother has three sons and a daughter. In our culture, it would be like they all get 25%. That's what we believe. That's what we would, you know, practice. Uh, but in the ancient Near East, his oldest son, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited my microphone is popping off. Um, in, in, the, in the ancient Near East, his oldest son would get 50%. His other two boys would get 25% and his daughter would get nothing. That's just the way it was. It was even that way in the law of Moses. But Job doesn't do that. He does justice for his daughters. Now, this is incredibly radical. Job is doing something absolutely breathtaking here in terms of that culture related to justice and equality for women. Nobody was doing this. I mean, it's not like, well, a few people did this, but a lot of people. Nobody did this in the ancient Near East. So what's he doing? He's charting new territory. He's coming out of this brokenness and pain, and he's charting new territory in his culture. He's making a difference in his world, at least his family's world. It wasn't all about him getting double for himself. He was concerned with justice for others. We just celebrated July 4th this week. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of our country. I, I'm, I am patriotic. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Um. And at the same time, we have to realize that in our history, it hasn't always been justice for all. And we as Christians, we ought to be the, the people at the front of the pack when it comes to justice for everybody. Right? And Job was that way. So what are you saying, Tim? What's the point? Here, here, think of it this way. 
Why would this be included in the story? Why tell us this? Why, why? I mean, like, how does that relate to the story of him going through the suffering and coming back and his restoration and his healing and his rebuilding? What does this have to do with that? Here's my guess. Your restoration is not complete until you help somebody else. And that leads me to the fifth and final point, which is the final point. Help someone else. Now, this wasn't on day one of his restoration. I don't want anybody here leaving here thinking something's wrong with you if you're not helping somebody else in in the area that you're in. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying in the process of restoration, Job paid it forward. And wherever you are, whatever it is you're going through, know this. There is a future difference that you are going to make. And that doesn't necessarily make it easier to go through it, but, but, it, but it does. It, it reminds us of purpose, of destiny, that, 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 that there is a future difference that, that's going to happen. You didn't go through this for nothing. Luke chapter 22, you heard me quote this text before when uh, uh, Simon is talking to Jesus, and Jesus says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I'm praying for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now, stop right there. If I'm Simon, I'm like, no, don't pray. Just tell him no. <laughs> you are Jesus after all. I mean, I do want Jesus praying for me. He's interceding for us. But just say no. Just say no. Go away, devil. But here, look at what the rest he said. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Simon, you're not just going to go through this for you. And please note, what Simon went through was great failure. Great failure. And Jesus says, you're not going through this just for you. Strengthen your brother. And what he did strengthen his brothers, the restoration that he experienced strengthened his brother. What Job did strengthened not just his family, but generations. And what you go through and how you press through into God in the middle of it will affect generations that come after you. Remember, this is the promise. Nothing is ever wasted with God. God will use this in your life even if Satan was trying to kill you. You aren't just going to barely survive. You're going to thrive. And God's going to use you to help others. And that is when you'll know that you're coming to a close to the restoration process, is that you're able to minister to other people at that point. Now, again, hear me. This is not where he started. On day one, he didn't start there. But this is part of the process. So look at the process of restoration one more time. Learn what God is teaching you. Forgive and pray for those who hurt you. Receive the help God sends you. Just do what you know to do. And then help somebody else. Let's pray. And as we pray right now, if we could just have, have a moment with the Lord. Just between you and the Lord. And in a few moments, we're going to receive communion. But first, I just want us to do some business with God. And I just want to walk through these five things. And I just want you to ask the Lord, just between you and, and the Lord, just, Lord, what are you saying? Take a second just to listen. 
Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak individually to every person here. Holy Spirit, I ask you to individually apply every bit of this story that ultimately points us to Jesus. Lord, help us to apply this. So Lord, what are you speaking? I pray that you would speak to each person individually. And then second, maybe there's somebody you need to just forgive or maybe you've already forgiven them, but you just need to pray for them right now. Just take a second to do that. And the Lord may be speaking to some of you to receive the help that he sent to you. And maybe it hasn't come the way you wanted it to, but you just need to receive. And in fact, just receive from the Lord right now. Just open yourself up to him and say, Lord, I receive from you. be speaking to you about what to do and just doing what you know to do, taking one step at a time. Maybe he's just giving you one step today. Maybe he's just speaking to you right now to, here's this one step to take. Just be open and listen to him. is just speaking to you, somebody, if you're at this point, to reach out to. Lord, we listen to you on all of these, Lord, whatever you're saying to us. Jesus, you're Lord. We belong to you. We don't belong to ourselves. We've been bought with price. This church belongs to you. Our families belong to you. Our marriages belong to you. Our children belong to you. In Jesus' name.